help you, amen? If you love the truth, the truth will help you. But uh, <clears throat> this might seem a little bit disjointed, but uh, I believe this is of the Lord tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I'll read just a couple verses. And uh, why don't you go ahead and stand again now that you all just sat down. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and uh, let's just go ahead. We'll just read verse 1 all together. Hey, good evening, brother. I really enjoy seeing you turn that Bible. I really do. Amen. I'll tell you while he's finding, well, it's in the Old Testament, brother. And uh, he knows I'm messing with him. Well, what I'd really like to do here um, is I'd like to get a pretty good-sized Bible, and I'd like, to, I'd like to go underneath this pulpit, and I'd like to bury it. Amen. I'd like to tape that thing up, and I'd like to bury it so when we get up here, you can say, well, we're standing on the Word of God, amen? And uh, you pray about that, and the right time and the right place will be able to do that. <clears throat> you say, well, that's corny. No, that's corny, amen? That's good, amen? I mean, you all stand on everything else and stand on the couch, stand on the dresser and all that. Why not stand on the Word of God, amen? First Samuel chapter 1, look at verse 1 with me. The Bible says, now there was a certain man of... Yeah, <clears throat> Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina, or whatever, Penny, whatever her name is there. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And we'll stop right there because there's a lot in the chapter. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the Word of God. And thank you, Lord, that you let us come here tonight. Lord, we need a recharge. Um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday has already taken a toll. And, Father, we're so glad that you let us come here. Father, I pray that you'd encourage your people with the Word of God. We do thank you, Lord, for your saving blood. And thank you, Lord, that you've washed us whiter than snow with your blood. And, Father, I pray that you'd uh, help us to do our part tonight in the preaching. And, Lord, we know that you're going to do your part, but I pray that you'd help us do our part. And, Father, I pray that you'd give us help, for we are a needy people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> I'd like to preach uh, kind of like dovetail off what we've been preaching on. We've been preaching on 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. And what we ended up preaching about was the last uh, thing we hit was the five temptations that uh, usually a woman would have. And uh, that a man would not have, and I'm not going to preach. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm going to get on the men tonight for a little bit, but it all applies, amen, it all applies if you're saved, if you're a born-again Christian. I'd really like to preach on a character that I believe is not too well known in the Bible. Everyone knows about Hannah for the most part, and Hannah was the praying mother, and she vowed a vow to the Lord, and the Lord heard her vow, and she kept her vow, amen. And in the Old Testament, they would vow a vow, and, and uh, you know, of course, uh, hopefully you kept it because that was the right thing to do. And aren't you glad that where you live, that you don't have to, if you make a vow and you kind of run your mouth off to the Lord, that he doesn't always hold you to it? <laughs> I mean, I sure am. I've prayed a lot of crazy prayers. But anyways, uh, she, she vows a vow, and the Lord gives her a son. I like to preach on the character of Elkanah tonight, and that's Samuel's daddy. And you see, everyone knows about Samuel the, the, the prophet, right? One of the greatest prophets Israel had. 
I mean, he had power with God and he had power with man. But more importantly than that, he was right with the Lord. And there, you, you can't find trouble with Samuel except at the end of his life, his sons did not follow the way that Samuel worshipped the Lord. I'd like to do the best I can just a little bit to give you about the character of Elkanah. And the reason I think this is important is because we left off the whole thing in 1 Timothy chapter 2, going all the way to verse 15, is that a man is supposed to bear rule in his home. And if he doesn't, well, can I just say it like this? All hell breaks loose. And I know that doesn't, that, that's, you know, that's, that's not pastoral. And I understand that ruling your home's men is not the way this world teaches you. Matter of fact, the world teaches you everything's 50-50, right? Well, let me tell you what the end of the day, when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, man, it's going to be your responsibility. And if you didn't do it, God told you to do in the scriptures, you're going to, it's going to be a sorrowful time at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'm not here to, uh, to beat the drum about we're a bunch of men and look at us who will puff our chests out. And I don't know if you ever seen any of them, them videos about uh, the gorillas, you know, walking around. I mean, they're just so graceful and every now and then they just go... Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to preach that way, man, because if you're a man, I think you should know you're a man, amen? And the one thing I've tried to do with my boys, I said try because they're still under the roof, I, I know they're going to have a lot of problems in this world, amen? They're going to have to learn eventually that they're going to have to get up without me or their mother turning the light on to get them out of bed, amen? And they're going to have to learn to show up to work on time on their own, and they're going to have to learn all that stuff. But one thing I've tried... I've tried to put the man card in them. I don't think manhood should be something that you have to struggle with, but let me tell you what, some of you might struggle with it. And I'm not saying that my boys are, you know, they got it all down. Sometimes they're just off the rails and into the ditch and all that stuff. But I'd like to preach about the character of Elkanah, and that would be Samuel's daddy. And uh, a very interesting chapter, but as the more I read it, there was a lot of great things. Uh, we'll just start right in here because there's a lot to go. But uh, here, first of all, considering the character of Elkanah, I want you to see, first of all, in verse 1, I want you to see that Elkanah was simply a certain man. He was a certain man. Uh, and the Bible says, now there was a certain man of that city right there. I don't know how in the world you say it. There's more, there's like more consonants than anything else. But he was a certain man. And of course it reveals his name as Elkanah later in the chapter or in that verse. But you know what that tells me? That if he's a certain man, that this very much can apply to me. It can apply to me. A certain man can apply to me. Number one, his name was Elkanah. And number two, he was the son of an Ephrathite. And you say, what's the big deal about an Ephrathite? Well, there's a great connection with the book of Ruth. If you look back to uh, the book of Ruth, chapter 1 and verse 2, you'll notice that that whole thing takes place in Bethlehem, Judah, and they were Ephrathites. So there's definitely a connection between the book of Ruth and the book of 1 Samuel. What we know about the book of Ruth is Ruth ends up being the great, 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 however many greats, I think it's 17 or 18, in the line of Jesus Christ, right? The interesting thing is, uh, the book of 1 Samuel, there's three main characters. There's Samuel, there's Saul, and then there's David. And, of course, David is in the line of Jesus Christ himself. So here we have a certain man here, but not, not just a certain man. But look at verse 2. I want you to see Elkanah. He's a certain man, and he's a married man, a married man. The Bible says here in verse 2, it said he had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Well, let me just say this. 
when you see a man in the Bible with more than one wife, you are going to see trouble. And these are the days of their life, <laughs> right? Wherever you see a man in the Bible with two wives, you're headed for trouble. And you say, why in the world did the Lord allow certain things? You know, the Lord allowed a lot of things in the Bible that I don't understand. You think about Solomon, one of the greatest uh, types of antichrist in the Bible. He's also somewhat of a type of Christ. But uh, the Lord loved Solomon. And he had 700 wives and 300 princesses. And as one preacher said, he probably walked through the kingdom with all of his wives and princesses and fawned over some beautiful young maiden, you know, some peasant or something. He says, oh, I'm in love with her. I'd love to marry her. And his advisor would say, well, you already are. <laughs> I don't understand that. But anyways, in the Bible, wherever you see a man married to more than one wife, you're going to have trouble. Uh, let me just say this. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, if you look there with me real quick, he's a married man. But the first mention of two wives in the Bible uh, is, is like a country song. It really is, you know. And uh, in Genesis chapter 4, you have this feller. His name is Lamech. And I don't know if he got named after he married his second wife and he became lame. But uh, it's trouble all the way around. Look at 419. The Bible says, And Lamech took on him two wives. Remember, two wives. If you see two wives in the Bible, you're going to have trouble, right? Well, lo and behold, look down to verse 23. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zilhah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. It really does sound like a country song. You say, what are you saying? Whenever you see a man married to two wives in the Bible, for whatever reason, it's just trouble. And just the practical thing is, you know what? One wife is enough. Amen. Amen. Don't even think about another. Amen. Not only is it illegal, but you're headed for trouble. Amen. You're headed for trouble. And uh, go back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. I want to show you this trouble real quick. It's laid right out in the chapter. There's trouble. If you look at uh, chapter uh, 2 verse 6, when you find the two wives, you notice one is an adversary against the other. You see that? And uh, when there's more than one woman involved in a marriage, then there's extreme competition. That's why you've got the, in high school, everyone's jealous and uh, every, the girls are jealous of the, the, the cute guys and the handsome guys and the guys with no brains, but you know, they're, they're strong and they're buff and all that. But, but you see that Penina is adversarial against Hannah in verse 6. Not only that, in verse 6, she provokes Hannah. I mean, it is a real cat fight. You see that thing? And verse 6, you know what? You know what Penina does? Makes her fret. See that? That's a mess, isn't it? I mean, I'm really trying to wrap my mind around this, and the Lord's like, don't even try. It's just a mess. <laughs> Amen. And in verse 7, uh, what do you have? Well, if you got two women together, you're going to have one of them crying. Right? Right. Verse 7, and as he did so year by year, uh, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not... Never saw that coming, did you, men? A woman that wouldn't eat. It gets worse. I mean, uh, verse 7, she's starving herself, right? And in verse 8, uh, what you have is a frustrated husband. Interesting, in verse 7, you have a famished wife. In verse 8, you have a frustrated husband. What do you want to eat? I don't know. Why don't you know? I don't know. Are you hungry? Yes. What do you want to eat? I'm not sure. <laughs> 
You never heard that before, right? But I'm just, it's trouble. And finally, in verse 10, it gives you the real picture. What it is, it's bitterness of soul. I'm just saying that uh, the character of Elkanah is why he's a good daddy. Uh, for whatever reason, he married two wives, and that brought him a little bit of trouble. And you know what? The qualifications that we're going to get to next in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, hopefully this, some of this stuff finds a resting place. It's not just facts and figures. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, one of the qualifications of the bishop or the pastor is to have, be a husband of one wife. Guess what? That's a good qualification for any man, <laughs> unless you want trouble, unless you want trouble. So it's a certain man. He's a married man. How about this? Let me show you this one. In uh, verse 3, I want to show you a worshiping man. He's, a wor- he's got some character to him. We're talking about Christian character. The Bible says, And this man went up out of a city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. All right, so it's a yearly exodus. You know what? That man had a set time where he went to church. You see it? You say, well, it's a different time. They didn't have a little church house. I I get all that. But he went every year. A little different. I mean, you and I, uh, you know, the church house is open four times a a week. Amen? You say, well, that's too much. Okay, I understand. I get it. Well, come when you can. We're glad to see you. Amen? But when when they had the feast and they had the offer, guess who was there? Elkanah was there. He was a worshiping man. He made that a priority. If you're going to be a man and you're going to rule your house, you're going to have to learn to set some biblical priorities. Amen. You see that right here in verse 3. All right, so it's a set time to go to the church house. And you know what that really is, right? When people see you leave every Sunday, that's a type and picture of the rapture. Really is. Now, of course, in, uh, uh, here in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 3, it would be a type of the second advent, right? Them getting out of here. But for us, the church age, every time you and I get up and we go to church, and your neighbor, the whoever, you know, your family members, they see you go. And like, oh, where are they going? Well, they're going to that church. Well, he'll be back, you know, like clockwork, right? But guess what? When we get caught up out of here, we ain't coming back until we're coming back with the Lord. Amen. <laughs> so he's a worshiping man. He's got his priorities straightened out. You know what some Christians need to do? They need to get their priorities straight. They need to get their priorities straight about the church house. Here's a man that had some character, and he went once a year. That's more than some people go. Uh, we had been here, I don't know how, how many years, and, some, and uh, met somebody in town. I don't know how that conversation went, and, and uh, I was passing out tracks or something like that. And I said, where do you go? I said, well, we go to that church down at the corner of Chambers and 55. <laughs> I just laughed because we've been there about five years, and I've never seen him once. Right? It's as it goes. Uh, not, not too regular, you know what I mean? But anyway, he's a worshiping man. And not only that, his, uh, it's not just personal, but it's public. Look at verse 3. That this man went up out of a city yearly to worship, there's the personal part, and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. So while it's a personal worship, it's a public worship because you've got the two priests there, or you can call them pastors, whatever you want to call them. You said it's both public and it's both personal and it's public as well. You need to learn to worship the Lord in person, but you also need to learn to worship the Lord in the local assembly. See what I mean? A lot of people think that when I get up and preach about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're like, oh, I'm good. I'm going to go worship him on the golf course. Well, I'm really happy if you do, but I have never worshipped the Lord on the golf course. I have never worshipped the Lord in the deer blind. I've got cold in the deer blind. I've eaten a lot of candy in the deer blind. But I have never worshipped the Lord in the deer blind. You see what I mean? I mean, there's things. I love to do certain things. I love to play ping pong. I have never worshipped the Lord playing ping pong. And I've heard people say, well, I just, me and the Lord in nature. You know what I do in nature? 
Not that. I take a hike in nature is what I do, amen? And I go for a ride with a bike. I don't worship the Lord. Well, you're just too narrow-minded. Probably so, but I'm usually enjoying what God's given me, right? He's given us all things richly to enjoy. I'm not worshiping God. I didn't say I couldn't, but I just don't. And most people are not going to either, but they where they go. You go to the church house. Well, he's a certain man, a married man, a worshiping man. How about this in verse 3 and 4? He's a given man. This is the character of Elkanah, a lesser-known character that we read about. And to be honest with you, we read about him in chapter 1. It's kind of one and done. That's Elkanah. But man, there's a lot about this man, and he's got, he's got a, little, a lot of good characteristics. If you ever wondered why the Lord chose Elkanah and Hannah to bring that boy into, I think you can see it in the chapter. Because they don't have everything right. Amen? But they've got a lot of good things that the Lord could bring that boy in, and he knew that that mama would take that boy and give that boy right back to the Lord. But he's a giving man in verse 3 and 4, if you notice this thing. Uh, He gives to God first. In verse 3, you've got the yearly sacrifice. Amen? So the first thing that's mentioned in the text is he's going to the church house, and he's offering the sacrifice that God required. See, we do this thing different in the church age. You go and you give as you're blessed. That's what the Bible says. But when they went to Shiloh, do you realize, according to the book of Numbers, I believe it's chapter 8 or 7, the really long chapter, 7, thank you. It's 80-some verses. It like totally destroys your Bible reading for that day, amen? Because it's all the same, and you're like, oh, okay, all that stuff. But anyways, when he went to Shiloh, he had to give the exact same offering that everybody else gave. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living in a time frame where everybody knows what everybody's given? You say, what did that do? I believe that prevented showing off. And you had to bring the same offering whether you were really rich or not rich. You had to bring the same offering. And God just met with everybody on the same level. But in the New Testament church, you're supposed to give as you're blessed. That's what the Bible says between you and the Lord. So, But in verse 3, he gives to the Lord first. But if you go down to verse 4, you see what he does next? After he gives to the Lord, then he gives to his wife. Isn't that sweet? But notice where his priorities lie. He gives to the Lord first, and then he gives to his wife. And in verse 4, you notice what comes after the wife? The children. So a man who's got his priorities right, he'll give what the Lord wants him to give, and then he'll also have something to give his wife. And then he'll also have something to give his children. And in the day and I, that you and I live, and that thing's all jacked around, isn't it? It's usually backwards. Usually it's like, You give the kids whatever they want, number one, to shut them up, number two, because you are still bitter about your childhood and you want your kids to have, like, everything you didn't have. Like, that's the dumbest thing that could ever happen, right? Oh, well, I believe it is, so amen, preacher. But this thing's backwards, and, and the kids get what they want, and then the wife, and then what's left over, we'll flip the Lord a nickel and we'll call it good. But notice Elkanah's priorities. This man had some character. And let me tell you what, man, if you're going to rule your home for the Lord, you're going to have to learn some character. And Elkanah gave to the Lord first. The Lord came first, and then his wife, I'm sorry, wives, not in that respect. But you see the type, and then the kids. So you telling me that the kids are last? Sorry, <laughs> you last. So what am I supposed to do as a kid? Amen, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> Amen, that's good. 
That's Bible. You Bible believer, right? <laughs> now notice this thing. I'm going to show you two examples. I believe you already know most. Look at Exodus chapter 21. In your home, the priority's got to be right. It's got to be right. You've got to get things in the right priority or the home is not going to operate the way it should. And this is not just a message to, uh, to myself, since I have children, and to someone else who might, will have children eventually. This is, a, this is a message that affects everybody. Look at Exodus chapter 21, verse 3. Notice this, 21, verse 3. Note 5, we want 5. <clears throat> Notice the priority. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. So you see the order. The master is first. You see, you see the order? Who's next? The wife. And who's last? Actually, the, the slave is last. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It goes master, that'd be the Lord, your wife, and then your children. Now let's look at the other application, 2 Kings chapter 4. That's from the aspect of a man. Now let's look at the aspect of a woman. What should a woman's priorities be? Should, should it be about you? Or should it be about your children? How should your priorities be? 2 Kings chapter 4, look at verse 26. You have that, that woman that Elisha promised the child to, and then the child died. Remember that? 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 26. Bible says here, run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. So you see the priority, her fellowship was right with the Lord first, and then it was right with her husband, and then it was right with her children. And I see that exact same layout in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 with Elkanah. That man had some real character, real character. And he was a giving man. He gave to God first, his wife second, his children last. And he just had things in the right order. You know what I believe our trouble is a lot of times as Christians? We just got things out of order. That's it. And a lot of times uh, it could be a lack of training, you know, I don't think every time that things are out of order, it's because you're in absolute, utter rebellion against God. I think it could be that you just maybe weren't trained. You didn't learn something along the way. And you know what? God understands that. But when you get taught what's right, you need to make the adjustments. You need to make the switches. And you need to put things in the right order. But you notice here, it's a, he's a giving man. Now, let me, look at verse 5. It's a, just some real good practical stuff about Elkanah. He's a, he's a giving man, but here in verse 5 of chapter 1, he's a loving man. He is a loving man. And now notice he says, But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. You know, it doesn't say he loved Penina, but you know what? I'm not so certain he didn't love her, but it sure makes it a point to point out that he loves Hannah. Hannah is a loved woman, but you know what? She ain't got no babies. That's rough on some gals. Especially if you're a Jew. Because if you're a Jew, you know what you want to do? You want to be that young handmaiden of the Lord that brings in the promised child. And for a woman not to have any children, that's a bad deal. Now, in America, it's a different story. Americans are taught to have careers. Americans are taught to be independent and think all by themselves, which you should anyways, because if you're not thinking, the question you've got to ask yourself is who's really thinking? 
But uh, anymore, our society does not, does not teach and put the, the aim of having children in front of you. Matter of fact, it's like a secondary application. It's like, well, you know, if you, know, if you get done with college and you get a house and then you get, you know, maybe a couple cars and go on some vacations, well, maybe then, maybe have some babies, Right? And uh, so, you know, what, what, whatever you decide to do, you know, just work it over with the Lord. But here's a loving man, and it says in verse 5, he loved Hannah, and he loved her by what? By his giving. Look at verse 4 to 5. Verse 4 to 5, he's obviously given to his wife Penina, and in verse 4, that's 4, but in verse 5, the Bible says he gave a worthy portion. And you know how you show your giving? Your love? <laughs> I got it mixed up. I gave the answer away. You show your love by giving. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. You know how you can love the Lord? Just by giving. That's how you can show your love, by your giving. You want your, you want your Christian life to be blessed? Learn how to give. You want your family to be blessed? Learn how to give. You want to get married? Learn how to give. And that's how that thing works. All right? But that worthy portion, what does that mean? Well, that just means deserving. In other words, he thought she deserved it. Amen? That's a worthy portion, such as merits, having, uh, having uh, merit or excellence. And I got to thinking about this. You will give to what you love. The Bible says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's Matthew 24, 12. One preacher said a while back, if you give me your checkbook, and who's got a checkbook anymore, by the way? Right? If you show me your checkbook, I can tell you what you love. Well, now it's if you show me your digital banking statement, I can tell you what you love. And you do. You, you can tell what you love by what you give to. And I'm not saying this because I have an ulterior motive, but maybe that accounts for the fact that many Christians do not give to the Lord. Because if you love the Lord, then you will give to the Lord. And in this passage, you see Elkanah, what is he doing? He's giving Hannah a worthy portion. Why? He loved her. He's a very loving man. And uh, you will give what you uh, give to what you love. And uh, he was a very loving man. And look at verse 7. Not only a loving man, but a faithful man. A faithful man. In verse 7, the Bible says, And as he did so year by year. You know uh, what Elkanah wasn't? He wasn't a... He wasn't a Christian Christian, Christmas and Easter. He wasn't a CEO, Christmas, Easter only. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, he was faithful. And in the Christian life, isn't that what we're supposed to be? Amen. You know, it's not, a, it's not some rat race that we're a part of. It's not some uh, business model that we're trying to build up into. But we're just trying to be faithful. That's it. <laughs> now, think about coming to church sometimes. <laughs> You're just trying to be faithful, aren't you? And you're trying to, you know, okay, I feel like garbage, but I really want to go to church, but my flesh really wants to stay home. <laughs> and you're like, but I'm going to go to church. And then you get in the car, you're like, but I want to stay home. And you're like, oh, shut up, would you? <laughs> and you're like, why am I talking to myself? <laughs> you just want to be faithful. And let me tell you what, that'll be the hardest thing in your Christian life is just to be faithful. It is. And, you know, I know the preach, as a preacher, I can get up here and scream and try and blow in the face, but you know what? If the person don't want to be faithful, they're not going to be faithful. 
But that's all we're called to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says that moreover of stewards, it is required to be faithful. And I want to be faithful, don't you? Uh, because I know I'll never be successful because it's not about me. But you know what I can be? I can be faithful. Uh, with God's help, I can be here in 20 years. If God don't help me, I won't be here in 20 minutes. I just want to be faithful. That's it. And uh, so uh, Alcane, he was a faithful man. Look at verse 7. He was faithful to the church house. This stuff just jumping right off the page, the practical stuff here. In verse 7 it says, And he did so year by year uh, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. So you got him uh, and her both at the house of the Lord there. He's faithful there. Uh, look here at verse, um, verse uh, 3. Go back to verse 3. He's faithful to worship, yearly to worship, it says in verse 3. He's faithful to give in verse 4, and he's faithful to love his wife. You see the faithfulness all throughout the text. And let me tell you what, God would not put that in there unless he had something for us, for us to think about and to consider tonight. There's someone in here that needs to hear this that maybe you've been thinking, I don't know, maybe this, this church thing is a little bit too much. I, I know you probably have never thought, well, this whole Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night is a bit much. Can I tell you this? Can I be honest? I've thought it many times. You say, oh, you're the pastor. Don't matter. <laughs> Amen? I've had a long week just like you have, worked all week just like you have, and then I'm trying to get my head on my shoulders, and uh, my flesh kind of rears up and goes, this is a bit much, ain't it? I'm like, sure is. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Amen? But you can be faithful. I can be faithful. With God's help, you don't have to be successful. Aren't you glad? Amen. Just be faithful. Okay, and was faithful. Not only was he faithful, if I look here in verse 8, I see he, uh, he's a faithful man, but he's also a concerned man. Or how about this? He's a sensitive man. <laughs> We're all going to strike out here, aren't we, men? He was a sensitive man. Uh, verse 8, he asks the uh, question that every husband asks his wife. Why are you crying? <laughs> Why weepest thou? You know, that it probably is the most unanswered question between a man and a woman. Why are you crying? I don't know. <laughs> right? But he's concerned, right? And he's sensitive. He's asking the question. I don't think he's asking just because there's nothing else to do. She's crying. And, and let me tell you what, unless you're half retarded, when a woman cries, you're going to be like, I can't stand it. So you go, well, what's your problem? Right? And he's like, why weepest thou? And of course, what's the next question that goes unanswered in the text? Why eatest thou not? Right? Are we doing all right? Amen. What do you want for dinner? I don't know. Why not? Are you hungry? Yes. What do you want to eat? I don't know. Why are you crying? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so he's a concerned man. He's a sensitive man. And you know, honestly, if you look at the back end of verse 8, maybe he's just a typical man. You say, why is that? Because <laughs> he says to her, am I not better to thee than ten sons? Now, come on, there's a little bit of humor here because every man thinks that he is the answer to a woman's problem. <laughs> At least for the first ten years, and then you know what he knows? He's the woman's problem. Amen, sister. <laughs> and he's like, am not I better than ten sons? This woman is bawling her eyes out. She wants children. I don't understand that. 
I never wanted children, but I love my children. Amen? But there's something in the makeup of a female, the way God made women, that craves to lavish affection on a baby. Guess what, guys? Unless you're a fruitcake, you never wake up and go, I want to have a baby. And she's like flipping out. Right? Amen? And he's going, what's your problem? Why are you crying? Like, really? Why aren't you eating? Am I not better than 10 sons? And she's like, no, you're not. You're done. Shut up. I'm putting into the text my opinion here for a second, but I think you get the point. But he's a concerned, he's a sensitive man, and maybe he's just a typical man. I don't think he's a hyper-spiritual man at all. I just think he's just a man's man. And he doesn't know why his wife is crying, because no man usually does. Amen? And... uh, But uh, look at this, maybe he's a typical man and maybe we've uncovered a typical man doesn't realize how bad a normal woman craves children. A normal woman craves children. And you see the real reason is found in verse 10 is because of the provocation, because of her barrenness, she now is in bitterness. Well, not only let's move on, I want you to show you something else about uh, Mr. Alcana, he's got some great characteristic that you and I can learn from in our Christian life. But can I tell you this here in verse 19, move ahead to verse 19, I see him as a disciplined man. He is a disciplined man. Yeah, I was raised in a good home and I had to, have, I had to do chores and I had to keep my grades up and I had to keep my room clean. And once mother ran out of dishes, then she came to my bedroom and found them under my bed. But anyways, I had to do things that would teach me responsibility, right? But you know, when you get on your own, you find out how undisciplined you really are, don't you? You can be raised in the greatest of homes, but at the end of the day, it's really you that needs to work. And I remember when I got on my own, I realized how undisciplined I was. And now there was no mom telling me what to do. And now there's no dad telling me what to do. And guess what? The dishes didn't get done unless I did them. And the bed didn't get made ever. Why? Because I was undisciplined. I was a guy. And I needed my mother to make my bed or something. And it didn't get made until I got married. But you said, he's a disciplined man. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, and they rose up in the morning early. You know, it takes a little bit of character, a little bit of discipline to get your tail out of bed, doesn't it, men? There's something about you can try to fall asleep all night long, but when you finally fall asleep, there ain't nothing like staying in that bed, is there? Amen. And that alarm goes off, and you're like, oh, I don't want to go to school, Mom. And your wife's like, I'm not your mother. You get out of bed, (laughs) right? And you're like, no, and you roll over. And it's just like this little piece of heaven on earth. I mean, there's nothing better than hitting the snooze button, amen? If I'm lying, I'm dying. The best sleep you get is that nine minutes. And then you wake up and your heart's going a million miles an hour. (gasps) Or you don't wake up and you're late for work. But he was disciplined. The Bible says they rose up in the morning early. Notice this, he was disciplined in his worship and his fellowship. Look at verse 19. So they rose up in the morning early and watched TV. No. He got up early for a purpose. He got up early uh, not just to watch the weather channel, but he got up early to worship before the Lord. I think that's really interesting because if you're going to have a home that honors the Lord, you're going to have to learn to get up and, well, just make some real good solid habits. Make some real good solid habits. 
I remember a preacher told me one time, he says, whatever you haven't learned by the time you're 21, it'll take you a lifetime to learn. I said, that idiot don't know what he's talking about. Well, he's telling the truth. Whatever habits you don't have made for the Lord right now, like reading your Bible and taking time to pray, if you haven't made them by the time you're 18, you will literally struggle for years to get them locked into where they should be. And I see he's a disciplined man. He gets up in the morning early, and what is he doing? He's worshiping before the Lord. This is really good what I see what Alcane is doing. That shows me a man that's in fellowship with Jehovah God. He's a man that's in fellowship with his wife. You ever stop and think about why you're not in fellowship with yours? Could it be that you didn't take the proper time in the morning to get things worked out with your creator before you decided to work things out with your wife? People say, well, happy wife, happy life. Okay, well, why don't you get with the Lord a little bit more and see if you can have a happy wife. Now, listen, he was disciplined in his worship and his fellowship, but he was disciplined in his travel. Look at this. Uh, verse 19. He rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. He didn't take a six-week vacation, and I'm going to go here and go there. You say, well, that's silly. No, not really. He was just disciplined. He knew where he needed to be. He knew where he needed to be. This generation, to me, reminds me of a, of a, of a bunch of people that really don't know where they want to go. You say, how so? Well, just take, take your average cell phone user. We've been so trained now to, to capture every moment, we no longer live that moment. We're no longer where we need to be. We're always somewhere else. And we if we, we got to catch it. we got to capture it. Do you remember that? No, but i got a picture of it. Well, just go ahead and get there. You know, there's memories in here that were never photographed. <laughs> Amen? And I just see he's not only disciplined in his worship, but he's disciplined in his travel. I want you to see this. This is really good. Uh, uh, Lord, show me this. A man who's disciplined to spend time in fellowship with Jesus Christ in verse 19. If you look at it right there. You know what he'll also do? He'll also spend time in fellowship with his wife in the last part of verse 19. I'm not trying to be funny. If you're willing and you're disciplined to spend time with the Lord in fellowship, then that will enable you to have the right type of fellowship and communion with your wife. You see it in the text. I think you've got something there. And when you do that, God will bless your marriage. Not only that, men, but God will bless your wife. You say, how so? Verse 19, and the Lord remembered her. You know, what does the Bible say over there in Peter, you, you know why our prayers don't get answered? Because as husbands and wife, I'm always fussing and fighting with her. So are you. You want your prayers answered? Notice it. And the Lord remembered who? Who's the one being disciplined? Elkanah. Who's the one doing the right? I'm not saying Hannah's doing wrong. Just follow me. We just come to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, right? If the man is doing right, God blesses her. You want your wife blessed? You want your marriage blessed? You want your home blessed? Then do right, men. That's what I'm trying to get across the plate tonight. So he's a disciplined man. And when you put the Lord first and you worship him, verse 3 and verse 19... And your wife sees you obey the Lord, and your wife obeys the preacher. Look at verse 17. You ever stop and wonder why your wife maybe will or will not listen to the preaching? I'm not being targeted. I'm just preaching in generality. You ever stop and think that if Elkanah wasn't being the husband that he should, that 
what would have given Hannah the reason to listen to Eli? I mean, he spoke just like that. Well, the Lord will visit you this time of year. And you know what she did? Her countenance changed. When the preacher told her what, what was going to happen, she's like, oh, thank you so much. And she put a smile on her face, and away they went. She changed her countenance and everything in verse 17. But that's an interesting thing. When you put the Lord first, men, and you worship Him in verse 3 and verse 19, your wife sees you obey the Lord. I'll ask you this question. When was the last time your wife saw you read the Bible? When was the last time your wife walked in on you on prayer? Your wife sees you obey the Lord. Maybe your wife will listen to the preaching. And then, maybe, in verse 18, maybe your wife will have a good attitude about things. Right there. <laughs> right there in the text. And she said, let thine handman find grace in thy sight. So the woman went away and did eat. <laughs> she finally found something to eat, amen. <laughs> you say, why? She listened to preaching. No fussing, no fighting going on in the home. Amen. And did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. There it is. All right, well, let's get off of this thing. He's a disciplined man, but you know what he is? In verse 21, what he really is, is he's a ruling man. He's doing it the right way. He really is a ruling man. Verse 21, the Bible says, And the man Elkanah, and look at it now, all his house. You see that? It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to go up to the church house and I'm going and uh, hopefully the rest of y'all come. No, he went and they all went with him. You say, well, what did that look like? I have no idea. It wasn't there. I doubt he had to force him. But I'm guessing by reading the text that he was faithful in what he did, right? And he was going every year and everyone just knew, hey, at this time of year, this is when we load up the donkey and this is when we load up the horses and this is when we take all this stuff and we take the... Uh, the silver charger, and we take the, uh, uh, the, the fine flour, make it with oil, and so we take the, was it the bullock there, the ram, and the, all this, all this stuff, and we're going, so you best not be late. And he's ruining his house is what he's doing. You see that in the text, and his house. It wasn't just Alcana's God. It was his family's God, and he was ruling his house. Proverbs 25, 28, the Bible says, He that hath no ruler over his own spirit... Like a city that's broken down without walls. I think many times in our marriages and in our homes, men, we can't rule our own spirit. Our wife picks up on it. She picks up on our insecurity and our lack of fellowship with the Lord. She begins to fall to pieces, and since we're just brute beasts half the time, then we just take it out on her. Amen. Somebody say amen besides me. Amen. And that's how that thing goes. But he's ruling his house, and he's doing it the right way. He offers a yearly sacrifice. He's got his giving taken care of. And guess what? He offers his vow. You see that? Uh, look at the verse here. Oh, where is it at? Thank you. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice. There's his giving. And say, what in the world is that vow? I understand it's Old Testament, but you know what I see that vow to be? That vow to me, what I see that thing is, is things that uh, he needs to change in the coming year. You know, I see Elkanah uh, uh, making his vow to do to fix some things up. See what I mean? He's a ruling man, and he's making his vow, Lord, I'm going to do this with my family, and Lord, I'm going to do this, uh, I'm going to do this about myself, and Lord, I've been struggling about this thing here, and I'm going to get that thing fixed up, and it starts today. You see, he's got his given taken care of, 
and when he gets his giving taken care of, then what happens? Then he can see the things in his life that needs to change and fix, and he makes his vows. Well, we're just about done here. He's a ruling man, and men, you're going to have to learn to rule your house the way God wants you. I see here in verse 23, he's a, he's a considerate man. He's a, I guess you could say, he's a kind man. Look at verse 23. After the baby comes along, you know, and she's made, uh, Hannah's made her vow, she's going to give the baby back to the Lord. I, I, I mean, I can't even imagine a woman giving a small child up. That must have took an extra helping of grace from Jehovah God himself. But uh, the Bible says, but Hannah went, verse 22, Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. Look at verse 23. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, shut your mouth and get ready, we're going anyways. (laughs) That's not what he said, is it? (laughs) That's not familiar. (laughs) He said, do what seemeth thee good, Right? Now, he could, have, he could have laid it on her, couldn't he? I mean, he could have said, uh, uh, you know, he could have been a jerk and said, you're going, I don't want to hear another word out of you, and get ready. He could have created a bigger problem by berating her, right? He could have done that. I find it interesting what he writes, though. He says, uh, he says in verse 23, do what seemeth thee good. Isn't that something? He's pretty kind fellow, ain't he? I mean, I know he is because it says in the previous part of the chapter that he loved Hannah. He gave her a worthy portion, and you give to what you love, right? You give your time, you give your, your energy, you give your affection, you give your money, you give your life, you give your health, you give it all to what you love. And uh, like I said, he could have done a lot of things, but the, the truth is, is he was kind and considerate. I was thinking about this verse, and I was coming across this passage in Psalm 31, or Psalm Proverbs 31, 11, talking about the virtuous woman. It says, the heart of her husband doth simply trust in her. I imagine when she said, hey, hey, uh, hey, old man, I ain't going up there until that baby's weaned, because that baby, I know them boys in the temple, and that man, he's a good preacher, but he don't know how to take care of my boy, because he ain't ready yet. And Elkanah and, 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 thought, hey, it's... it's all right, do what seemeth thee good. You know, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's just like, it's okay when he's ready. But I want you to notice something else in this passage that's important. And finally, I want you to look at verse 23. You'll see that Elkanah, not only is he a kind man, he deals kindly with his wife. He's considerate. He gives her a worthy portion. But I want you to see here in verse 23, I believe that Elkanah is a very spiritual man. For he says this, only the Lord establish his word. And I'll tell you what I see out of this passage here. I believe what Elkanah is saying here is I, I believe he's saying a number of things. I, I believe he's saying, honey, you know I love you, and I want you to be happy, and I want you to be able to be a mother like every woman should have the opportunity to be a mother. But you know what, baby? I heard those vows you told the Lord. So when it's time, you need to fulfill your vow to the Lord. That's what I see in the passage. That goes all the way back to Numbers chapter 30 that we'll get to later on because I no doubt he, she came back and said, hey, honey, I'm telling you what, that preacher said we're going to have a baby, and I made a vow unto the Lord. So Elkanah was thinking, okay, it's time to take Samuel up to the temple. And she's like, oh, he ain't ready yet. And he's like, okay, but you know what? I trust you, but we're going to do right on this thing. 
So whenever it's time, it's time, but we're going to do right. You say, what does that mean? He was a spiritual man, that he was willing to go ahead and say some things that were difficult sometime. And he's a spiritual man because he's chosen what? To obey the word of God faithfully, no matter what his wife said, no matter what his kids said, no matter what the brethren said, no matter what the preacher said, they had chosen to let God establish his word. So as we bring this thing to a close tonight, I just wanted to take us off the beaten path just for a little bit and give you about the character of Elkanah, a very unheard of character in the Bible. But no doubt, after you see the character of Samuel's daddy, no wonder the Lord used that family to bring Samuel, that great prophet, into the world. And I'll tell you what, the question I have for you tonight is, how is your character when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have the character that you need? Has there been a time lately where you ask the Lord, Lord, how's my character? Am I disciplined? Am I caring? Am I kind? Am I loving in my family situations? Am I faithful in my worship? Am I faithful in my giving? And I believe those are all things that you and I can derive from this passage tonight. Why don't you stand? We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.